Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. This is the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. Over there is Mr. Two Frames. Howdy. I'm the L Train. We're your host, and joining us today is a very special guest, co-host, contributor to the show, and actor, Mr. Registar, Scott Lasky. How's it going? How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm really excited to be here. Um, Mr. Two Frames and I had the opportunity to, to watch you in a stage production of The History Boys, which is also a movie, I think, um, 2006... Yeah, no, around the amount something like right. that. It sounds right. By Alan Bennett, um, and Mr. Two Frames over there watched the movie mm-hmm. in preparation for the show. But I, I decided to beg off of that because I wanted to keep my my thoughts clean on the show on the on the stage production. What do you have to say about the movie, there, Mr. Two Frames? Uh, the movie's interesting in that it, it's a compression of the play. The movie's a little under two hours long, where the stage play lasts closer to three hours. So they had to cut quite a bit of content out of it. I mean, they still keep the essence of the play, so if you can't go and watch a live performance, I think the movie's fine to go watch, but I would strongly recommend someone goes to, say, Norfolk to go watch the performance. Right. The Little Theater of Norfolk, it's playing there from now until November 22nd on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon matinee. And uh, it's a pretty, I like the venue. Yeah, the Little Theater of Norfolk is a very nice theater. It's it's intimate. It's also in a a unique spot, kind of. I mean, there are a lot of nice little bars and night spots there. Mr. Two Frames and I went to the Greek restaurant, which is close by, and walked over to the show. Uh, We were only there maybe, you know, 10 minutes before the show, and it's within walking distance. There's nice parking, so... It's There's a, two craft breweries nearby also, and a bakery. Mm, so. yeah, I think we did one of the craft breweries when we saw uh, Dirty Ron Scoundrels back in the summertime. It's our second stage production that we've seen over there. And uh, this one for me was a, a little bit more enjoyable, I have to say, because it wasn't I know you're right. You're not a fan of musicals. It's okay. <laughs> a little averse to musicals. Not a problem. Uh, Ed actually liked this one better, too. Yeah. He wasn't a fan of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. The, it's I saw we saw Mr. Two Frames and I saw it at the end of its production at the end of its run, and it was a packed house. This production that we saw was opening night, and considerably fewer people there. So I'm wondering if that generally makes a difference for you on stage, it, like because Mr. Two Frames asked on the way in if. You, if the people on stage do, I think that they're aware of how many people are in the in the crowd. And I said, I, I really don't know. I don't know if they know. I um, mean, you know, usually sound. someone involved in the show tells us the stage manager uses tells us how many people are there um, because when we're on stage with the lights up, we can't see the audience. It's really hard to see. You can make out maybe a couple people in the very front, but otherwise, until the lights go down for the bows at the end, I could not see the audience at all. So when you were looking at me, you really... I was not looking at you. (laughs) Can you hear the audience? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because apparently some venues, it's very hard to hear the audience. I've heard comedians talk about that. They can't actually hear the laughter. Yeah, I guess that could be possible. But 
I don't have that problem at, at our theater. It's it's perfectly, you know, yeah. don't have any problems with that. And while we saw it and there weren't a lot of people there, it was also Halloween weekend. It was an odd time right. to open up a play. I, from looking online, seats are going quickly for uh, future performances of this. Yeah, last time I checked, this weekend was looking actually probably three quarters full on the three performances. I haven't looked beyond that. But yeah, last weekend, because of the Halloween weekend and um, just plays in general uh, don't always necessarily sell as well as musicals do. Audiences tend to be smaller. Huh. Well, that's surprising (laughs) because uh, (laughs) I would much rather see a play. I wasn't I wasn't ready for it to be as long as it turned out to be. I mean, I just, did, I wasn't aware. I knew nothing about it going in, except based on your recommendation that I'd like it. And you were right. But I think that that may have, uh, I, there were some parts I was confused with and we'll, we'll kind of get into that. But, um, I wanted to talk first about the different pro- actors and, and their roles because it's a limited number of cast or limited number of people in the cast but they all play key roles and they function in different ways. So I just, Mr. Two Frames, you're welcome to join me in this discussion, but I wrote some stuff down because I had a little bit of time to prepare for this show. (laughs) Oh, you mean you weren't doing grades like I was today? (laughs) No. All right, fair enough. I wanted to start with uh, Mrs. Cindy Shea, who plays the role of Mrs. Linot in the play, or Linot. Lintot. Lintot. (laughs) There's an extra T in here. There's actually three T's. Uh, I want to start with her, I think, thematically, because she communicates the idea that a lot of times that women don't come first. So I want to start with her first. And as such, she occupies a strange role being the only female in the in the play. Um, and as thematically dense as this play is, her performance gives credit to the sensibility of her lines. Because I think she conveys those ideas in her in her lines as well. She has a stalwart sense of loyalty to Hector. And uh, I just, I found myself laughing at a lot of things that she said. Not Adam, but, you know, like uh, one of the lines that stuck out was, history is a commentary on the various and continuing incapabilities of men. It's History is women following behind with the bucket. (laughs) And that got a pretty good laugh at the show, I think. It must be difficult for her being the only woman in the play, but she really seems to be enjoying herself. Uh, Cindy personally doesn't have a problem at all being the only woman. She actually... Oh. Uh, very early on said it's kind of fun to be in a show with a lot of guys. She was very happy about it. Didn't didn't cause her any consternation whatsoever. The, it seemed like to me, and of course my proclivity lies with you because I know you and I, you know, I associate with you, but it seemed like when you two were on stage together, you seemed to have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we get along very, very well. In fact, uh, I was saying to her, one of the performances this weekend backstage, it's very strange we met at auditions, uh, but I feel like I've known her for a very long time. We just clicked very quickly, and we both have a similar sense of humor, uh, and we share some similar interests. So we get along very, very well. Seems like she has the same take on the material as you do, too. Um, I don't know. It just this this play is so there's so much going on in it. Well, I think that's something that we it. all worked on together. Several of our rehearsals, honestly, were just sitting down and discussing the script. Um, We had quite a few rehearsals with the director, Chris Bernhardt, where we literally were just sitting around discussing the the script and the characters and why we were doing what we were doing and what it all was supposed to mean. 
So that, I think the sense that you're getting uh, that she and I had the same take comes out of those conversations that we all had together. Uh, And we we all worked through things together, not just on our own characters, but on each other's characters. We all um, were able to offer insights to each other. Uh, It's funny, you can become a little bit myopic when you're focusing on just your character. Uh, It's easy to miss things. Um, So it helps to get other perspectives. So she actually helped me understand a a line that my character has that I did not understand at all because of the lack of punctuation. One of the things we <laughs> had trouble with this with this particular script was the 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 playwright um, doesn't use a lot of punctuation. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. So there it's were like times Ulysses? when uh, not quite that bad, but it it certainly could have been more uh, properly punctuated than it was. Huh. And I'm not sure what his reasons for that are, but. One particular line I had, I was completely, I had a completely opposite take to what the line actually is. And she was the one who pointed that out to me. If I hadn't discussed that with her, I think I would still not know what the heck I was talking about. So, huh. um, so I, we probably, we do have a similar take and that comes from those rehearsals that we had together. And that was actually one of the things I liked most about doing this show was, um, getting to sit and discuss the script with the fellow act with my fellow actors and um just really digging in and analyzing the characters that was actually very very enjoyable it was something i was looking forward to and it was one of my favorite parts of the rehearsal process yeah there's some pictures online that you have on your facebook page of that process and then also all these all of the characters are online yours is particularly fascinating (laughs) (laughs) you seem to be putting on quite quite the look well, I do have a very specific concept of who Felix is and um, how he carries himself. And I also know, as you're probably aware from having worked with me, I, as a person and an actor, I make a variety of interesting faces, and that has filtered into the character. Um, so I was actually the first picture that she took, um, Jennifer Millet, um was publicity for the show and she took pictures of us. Um, and I was the first one that she did and she kept asking me to smile. And I told her I'm supposed <laughs> to be in character. I'm not going to smile. I'm going to do what I think my character would do. So the picture that she took and other pictures that I've taken backstage were character pictures. All right. That's good stuff. You know, I like it in your characters, kind of an interlude between most of the scenes taking place in the classroom. So you kind of show up to, advance the plot to complicate the plot before we can go back to the classroom. I think you're only in the classroom for one scene. Right. That's a French scene. Yeah. And even then it's fairly briefly. Right. So that that's gotta be hard to keep the right or to keep the same tone as the rest of the play since you're not in the majority of those scenes with a lot of the people. I mean generally you have one on one scenes. Right. Where everything else is a big group setting. Well I was gonna say it in some sense I think, and again, I don't want to speak for others. I can only speak for myself here. Um, there's kind of two sides of the story that are happening simultaneously. What's in, happening inside the classroom and then what everything that's happening outside of the classroom. And mm-hmm. um, except for that one brief moment where I interrupt the, the classroom scene where they're doing French, um, I exist mostly outside of the classroom because as an administrator, that's... That's where administrators That's tend where to... where you belong. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I would agree with that. 
Heck, uh, my character wouldn't, but (laughs) I would agree with that. I don't know. In that sense, I don't think it was difficult for me personally. Well, moving into the classroom, I I want to mention the four boys that play sort of smaller roles in the play. Um, I guess I should mention also, did you guys condense a character? Because it seems like there was another character listed in the movie. Yes. Crowther? Um, Yes. Um, We chose to combine Crowther and Lockwood into one character, so... Um, the actor who was playing Lockwood uh, okay. got some of Crowther's lines, and a couple of Crowther's lines may have gone to a couple other people. But yeah, I was wondering how you subsume the role into these other kids. So Grant Daniel plays Lockwood. Yes, was he also the director of the TV show in the second half, or was that someone else? No, that was him. Yeah. Okay, but he's not playing Lockwood. He's just, no, he's okay. playing just a TV producer. It's not supposed to be the same person, same character. He seems very engaged on stage with what the other people are doing. He's, he seems like the bright kid in the class anyway. And uh, I bet you, and I don't know, I don't know anything about stage acting, but I'll bet that he gets better with each performance because it looks like he's paying attention to stuff that's going on around him. That's the way it seemed to me. Oh, well, I think that's true probably of most actors. We The more we do it, the better we feel about it. And... Um, you're always finding new things. Every performance is slightly different. It's um, almost impossible to replicate the exact same performance every time you do a show. Um, strange things happen. Things come up that you weren't expecting. Um, very often, I mean, I know I can say for myself, sometimes I'll say a line slightly different or out of order or drop a line. Um, so you constantly have to be, you know, trying your best to stay in the moment and pay close attention and be aware of those things so that you can, you know, keep the show going without the audience knowing that something has changed or something different from what was originally tended has happened. That's Mm -hmm. something we all struggled with, with this show was the script um, was difficult to memorize because uh, some of the syntax is um, unusual, um, possibly because it's British. And of course the vocabulary um, and it's just a very dense script. It's a great deal of it, aside from quoting poetry, a great deal of it is written in a very poetic way. I found it, and I know several of the other actors found it difficult to memorize. Yeah, I would have no idea how to <laughs> memorize lines like that. Oh, if I saw so, I had to read French or speak French for a good five minutes of the play. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably the toughest scene for everyone involved in that scene, Um, especially Brian, who plays Hector, and he would be the first one to say that that was the most difficult thing for him to memorize and the most difficult scene for him to master, because French is... If you've never spoken French, if you're not comfortable with French, it's a difficult language to pick up and to pick up quickly. Luckily, we had a French teacher from Oscar Smith High School who came and worked with us at several rehearsals, and she was fantastic and oh, cool. and helped us learn that French so that we could be credible speaking it for that. Well, and you have to be credible at different levels. Hector has to be the best at it, the student's competent, and your character has to be semi-competent, maybe? I'm not sure. It's. I think you could go either way with whether Felix is competent with French or not. There's a sense that he struggles when he is asked, do you understand what the word for wounded soldier means? But he seems to be able to speak it fairly well in the scene, the little that he does. Uh, I'm very comfortable with French, so I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about 
whether or not Felix was competent or how I was going to portray his competent level with the French. I, <laughs> I was more focused on other things that I was doing besides his competency with French. Well, I mean, as someone who doesn't speak French, I'm having to watch the characters and more their mannerisms, their expressions towards each other to try and to figure out what's going on. Right. Well, it's right. Also and that's the way that scene is written. It's mm -hmm. written so that the audience should be able to follow most of it without knowing um, what the actors are actually saying. But it's very strange at the time that it comes in the films or in the uh, play. It's very early. Right. And it, I think it caught maybe half of the audience by surprise. It certainly caught me by surprise because I thought when it opens, Hector's wearing a motorcycle helmet and it's coming off the heels of a sort of a, a monologue by the Irwin character. And it, it to me, it looked like Daft Punk. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. It's in uh, sort of like a treadmill's running and I'm, I'm running. I, I jumped on the treadmill right in the middle of it's, uh, you know, being turned on and I'm trying to catch up. So it, it took a little bit before I was able to, to get up to speed. I don't know. I understand. When I saw the show on Broadway, I think for the first 30 minutes, I was, really struggling and a bit confused myself. I, I understand that. And I, I am not at all surprised that you and other audience members feel the same way. It is, um, it is rough going in the beginning because it doesn't, it doesn't, I think unlike many other plays, it doesn't try to spoon feed you right. and gradually let you into who these characters are and what's going on. It yeah. kind of throws you into the deep end and says, all right, swim with us. Or it doesn't drown. overexpose in what, any way. Right. Uh, maybe he's trying to, Ben is trying to give you the feeling of being a student or being what these kids feel like, mm -hmm. what these boys feel like. Because that's kind of, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I felt like. Of course, I was the only boy in my French class. Really? The only yeah, one? The only one. Huh. That's why I took it. I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so another one of these boys uh, that has a little bit smaller role is uh, Dijon McIntyre. Uh, that's the actor. He plays Akthar. In the in actor, the actor, yes. So he's like an actor. I, I guess you I, could say that. I don't know. He was he seemed very naturalistic on the stage, and he, although he didn't have a whole lot of lines, I, I saw him. I I was watching him, watching his reactions, watching him at times when he wasn't even saying anything. He just seemed like really at ease, and uh, I you know I I don't know. I would have liked him have more lines but you can't i mean that's a that's a something for bennett i suppose now is he playing a uh an immigrant is he it doesn't really say it doesn't the, say uh, he's a british citizen who's a muslim I don't know. same thing in the movie same thing in the movie uh he, he generally has a lot of lines in the classroom but he gets a lot of good quips in. i guess short lines yeah he doesn't he doesn't have much of a character arc though well but, no one almost and I guess we're, we're going to kind of spoil the movie or the play as we go along. I keep saying movie. We're going to have to spoil it as we go along. I'm trying to avoid some things, but I, I don't know if if anybody. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to get into that. So get into the to the more adult characters, the older characters, I suppose. As far as Dijon's work um, as Actar, I can say I know he spent a lot of time um, working on the character and even went out on his own to a store that sells religious paraphernalia. I don't know what the word is I'm trying to look for and, and bought a copy of the Quran for himself oh, wow. and he carries it around on stage. So uh, possibly what you are referencing is the work that he did 
leading up to the performance. Cool. Marshall Mulkey? Yes. He plays Rudge. Yes. The most comical role, I think, in the play. Yes. Uh, the audience definitely loves him. Well, he's got a great singing voice also. And you can't imagine how glad I was that this wasn't a musical, but <laughs> if it were, he'd be great in a musical. He's done musicals. He also, he's actually from Elizabeth City. He drives up from Elizabeth City to do the show. Wait, um, isn't he one of the under underage kids? Yes, he is still in high school. Wow. Uh says also that he does a he does improv comedy in his he has a twin brother. They both do theater. Opening, was it opening night? I don't remember if it was Wasn't opening open. night or not. Um, it was very strange during the bows when the lights came up and I could see the audience. He was His twin brother was sitting in the front row. It was kind of a little jarring Yeah, because they do look exactly alike. I like that Rudge is playing a character who's more down-to-earth, common sense. He's the non-scholar of the group. Right. But, I mean, he can still do a lot of the academics at the same time. Right. So, I, I like that. That's who I want to identify with. Seems like you. This reminds you of you. Yeah, I mean, school is temporary. Uh, well, he also, also I athlete. think, I was going to say, I think he also represents um, that that large group of students that do end up in colleges who are not necessarily strong academically, but they have other uh, talents or gifts, such as athletes. So I think that's also uh, part of his role in the play. A.J. Palacio? I'm not sure how to say his last name, actually. (laughs) All right. Sorry, A.J. Palacio. I'm I'm guessing Italian, so that's probably more correct. A.J. Palacio. I'm I'm really not sure. He plays Tim's. He was was quite funny also. And he, uh, I guess he's sort of the smart aleck of the group. Right. His character is kind of your class clown, your run-of-the-mill class clown. He does a great job with the physicality of that role. It's not a very physical play, but he sort of embodies that character. He lays all over the desks and whatnot. He seems to have the most melodramatic uh, activity. He's allowed to have most of those actions on the stage. He seemed like more like the students that I have, or that we have, than other students. <laughs> Instead of the students we wish we had. <laughs> I mean, he's acting like he's on the stage in his own life. I mean, right. he's constantly just waiting for his camera shot, his moment in the sun. Which is what class clowns do. Yeah. Yeah. They're always looking for attention, however they can get it. Now, it seems to me like the next three boys play different uh, elements of maybe Bennett's psyche. It seems like the next three boys have more lines, and they they have... I mean, these other the other guys have moments, and they right. They well, those the... Uh, the other three characters, the other three boys, are actually the narrators. Um, the three of them throughout the show kind of share narrating duties. The first is Posner. He's played by Josh Kern, and they they stay. Uh, he's an interesting choice for this role because he's one of the tallest actors on the stage. But at one point, he has to play. I mean, throughout the role, he's forced to play a smaller boy physically, someone that's maybe been kicked around a lot, and, you know, everyone's sort of, like, doesn't want to have anything to do with him. You know, he's kind of, like, pushed off to the side. So he has to sort of sink inside himself more and and play a role and adapt his, you know, presence to the role, Um, which must have been kind of difficult for him. Just, I don't don't even know. Again, I don't know anything about acting, but 
he also seems to convey more of an arc than anybody else. I mean, aside from the ultimate arc, which is death. <laughs> and then, <laughs> spoiler, <laughs> Posner doesn't die. But uh, doesn't he sort of end... That's the, a non-spoiler. No. Ooh, or is that a spoiler? Is it a spoiler? If, uh, if I said he died... I guess it depends on the genre. Okay. If it's a comedy and you're like, eh, Bill and Ted don't die in Bogus Adventure. Yeah. Oh, wait, they do for a little bit. <laughs> they have a lame adventure. A horror movie. Okay. It would be a spoiler. Uh, All right. Uh, that's a rat hole. We did that. <laughs> Moving on. He has got a lot of monologues, though, that Posner kid. And he's... Or the role and Kern seems to... Um, like relish the opportunity to have those, and to show that sort of. Uh, I guess at one point at the end of the at the end of the play, he comes in and he tries to attack Irwin, not physically, but he's trying to get him to admit to something or say something, and uh, I think he he really seemed to get into that part of the play. So, I uh, had the pleasure of seeing Josh in several other plays. He's very talented. Um, so I thought, and you know, I'm not sure what to say about. I, I can't speak for Josh as to um, the struggle with playing Posner, but um, I can say I initially, when I saw him at auditions and knowing him from the other shows I've seen him in, I saw him playing a different character. I was surprised he was cast as Posner, uh, but he does an excellent job. So, just is a testament, I think, to his acting ability. Uh, the next guy that. I think probably shows he is the one that steals most of the of the attention. I think by design is Dankin, uh, played by Carla. Dankin rhymes with bacon. <laughs> I don't like bacon, but his name rhymes with bacon. <laughs> but I like this kid, Carlos St. James, because it's the most engaging role for the boys. He's the one they all admire, uh, and he has a lot that's admirable about him. You know, he's, he's good looking. He's tall. You know, he seems in that sense, he's perfectly cast and you see the other boys defer to him. Um, and he, he has a stage presence to be the center of attention. It's ironic, but not really surprising that his character is probably the least noble of the characters. I mean, when we were boys, it seems like we admire boys, other boys for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. And I, I think he conveys that concept or idea. Yeah, no, he, he did a good job with that. And I think his height also helped. I think if he was a shorter person, it would be harder to convey that role. Yeah. In the movie, the actor who plays that role also plays the role of Howard Stark, Tony Stark's father in the Marvel films. And he's supposed to be a ladies man. So it was kind of interesting watching the history boys and seeing the younger version of Howard Stark, basically. And that actor is not, that actor is not that tall. I don't believe. No, and he's not. So the, the framing's a little different, but I I like the role. I I like casting someone who's a lot taller in the movie. Is he the most, does he have the most presence? Is he the the center of attention? Yeah. But they also help him out. Uh, the headmaster secretary is in the movie, and we see her, and we see some interactions. Yeah, she's not in the and play I think at all. that helps develop his character. Wherein, when we were watching the play, he's just recounting all of his exploits and conquests. So, you know, the question is, do we want to believe everything he's saying, or uh, maybe he's narrator. a bit of an unreliable narrator? Where the movie takes a firmer stance on that. Thinking, I guess this is the spoiler, the ultimate spoiler of all. Well, maybe not the ultimate spoiler, but 
at the end, we'd find out that he's like a lying, sniveling lawyer type. Like he steals. And it also says he goes to the Palm States. Does that mean America, like Florida? Is he snorting coke? <laughs> Probably. I mean, <laughs> the yeah, thing? he's the very, you know, he's the typical lying lawyer. He'll do yeah. anything. Money is what motivates him. He even says that. I like money. I think the other guys are more you admirable. Could, you can yeah. see him going and working for Enron. <laughs> yeah. I uh, think Tim's character, he opens a series of dry cleaners, but there's something else that's and he shady about coke, him. I thought. Yeah, there's yeah, there's something shady about oh, okay. I don't remember it all of a sudden off the top of my head. I listen to it every night, I should know. <laughs> but the two of them are end up in, you know, fairly morally compromised places in life. Finally, let's talk about Scripps. Scripps. Because he's sort of the hero of the of the whole play for you guys. I mean, you told us on the night of the show that he came in. Oh, the actor is the, the actor. hero for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the character. I was yeah, like, I'm sorry. Uh, His name is Pat Brown, right? Yes. He he was called, he was asked very nicely and graciously accepted to step into the part on Monday and we opened on Friday. So opening night was his fifth rehearsal. So, yes, we are <laughs> incredibly indebted to him and are astounded at how quickly he picked it up. By Sunday, he really was not using the script very much. That's amazing. He, he wasn't using it much Friday. It's even What's even more amazing is he's military police. He works overnight. Wow. So he literally is, I don't know when he's sleeping. He has a, a young child. Huh. Wow. So, yeah. For I, the second week, are you going to make him learn to play the piano? His character's supposed to play the piano. <laughs> just just throw think, more stuff at him. Yeah, I think we've, um, I think if he gets all the way off book, we'll be thrilled and we'll leave it at that. Is there a piano on stage? Do they play? I can't. No. They do play music, some music in it. Yeah. In the, in the stage version and in the movie, there's a piano in the classroom, and there's there's uh, quite a bit of singing. The scripts and very often Posner, maybe others, mm-hmm. um, sing in between scenes. Oh well, that was God. the way the Broadway production was done. <laughs> thank God I didn't. Sing and we Broadway. had planned to have music with guitar, not piano. The actor who quit said he could play guitar and that was going to be part of the show and obviously things yeah. did not work out the way as planned. I thought it worked. I, I was just thinking about in my own classroom if I had a piano, what an attractive nuisance that would be for the children and how they would never be able to stay away from it. That's why you have to have the harmonica. You keep it in your desk. Kazoo? Triangle? I'd like to be the world's greatest kazoo player. Yeah, I'll double down on that. You have to think about this classroom of boys... Eleven, oh. what, no, nine boys, seven boys, I don't know. How seven in your production, I think there's eight. In the, in seven the or eight boys who are all pretty darn smart. Mm-hmm. It's not your run-of-the-mill classroom of run-of-the-mill kids. Yeah, these are the top kids all I being think brought you could together. maybe handle having a piano in your classroom if you had just these <laughs> eight kids in your classroom with you. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Hector would mind either way. I'd also love being a teacher and only having one class to teach. <laughs> all of these boys, all of these actors have to play younger except for a few, I guess. Well, so not all of them, but right. most of these boys. It's, it's a testament to their collective performance that they were able to pull that off. Yes. Again, there were um, a number of rehearsals that were only for the students. Chris worked, Chris, the director, worked with the students. And again, they were doing character work. Uh, I'm not actually, uh, since I wasn't at those rehearsals, I'm not privy to what else they might have done. But I 
would imagine they did a great deal of work on creating what a typical classroom of students would look like of that age. Well, it feels like they all know each other. There's some inherent chemistry, so they definitely spent some time getting to know each other. And right. Did you try to keep a distance from them so there would always be that tension because you are the administrator, you are the headmaster? Um, no, I didn't try to keep a distance. I naturally gravitated towards Cindy because she and I got along so well, get along so well, but I've become quite friendly with most of the boys as well, even though I don't really have any interactions with them on stage. And I am not that kind of actor. I don't need to, uh, you know, that's an, a style of acting that some actors use, but that's not my style. If, if I have to be, you know, if I had to be a villain or as some might see me in this play, I don't have to maintain that kind of, you know, for instance, Cindy's character, Mrs. Lintot hates my character, the headmaster, mm -hmm. but we're great friends backstage. So, you know, that's not my style of acting. Okay, you just said some people might see your character as a villain. Suggest that you don't. I don't know that they're... I think villain is a strong word. I mean, if there had to be a villain, it would definitely be my character, but I don't think he has evil intentions. I think he is, in his own way, trying to do what he thinks is best for everyone, including himself. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think villain mischaracterizes him. More of an antagonist. Yeah, definitely an antagonist. He's the foil. Yeah. Well, and you play him as someone who's in over his head and doesn't realize it. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room and he clearly is not. Um, uh, well, I play him as someone who thinks he's the smart. I'm the idea yeah. man and I, I know what's best and I'm the only one who has the big picture in mind. Um, so I know better than all of them how that's perceived within the scope of the play, I don't have control over. So obviously he's, in my mind, he is written as someone who's not as smart as he think he is, that yeah. several other characters are far smarter than he is. But, you know, it's hard to play how others view me. All I can do is play how I want to be perceived. Yeah, yeah, no, and I thought that was interesting because he definitely gets upset when he's starting to lose control and, and you tend to, towards anger, where I, I think you could also do it uh, with a quieter performance. In, in the movie, the character's a little quieter. He's more manipulative, um, where you have a great outburst towards the end of um, Act One, Act One, which, which is a really powerful moment. Well, that's actually something that the director and I had talked about, and I think the anger starts quieter, mm -hmm. but I think by the end of that scene the way that it's written in my, from my perspective, he's saying some pretty terrible things mm -hmm. and he's clearly revealing his own insecurities and his own prejudices. So that it's not really just about him and Hector. It's obviously about something else. Oh yeah. It boils over and there's that moment of silence. Right. And that's really powerful. I think some people would want to rush through that moment. Instead it's no here, let me re you know, recollect myself get a hold of my feelings and my emotions, and then we'll continue on. I really like that bit. Thanks. Well, that guy, Felix, the headmaster, is is not like you in person. No, not no, at no. all. So to see that character on stage and see the departure that he takes from you, knowing what we know of you, was, I mean, that was more obvious than all the other characters, I guess. I mean course i'm well because you don't know the i don't know the actors other people. playing yeah. them right so i could uh for me it was 
I, I get, it was kind of powerful. I, mean, I, I especially like the end of the first act. Mm-hmm. The that that whole scene there. Yeah, yeah there's a lot. That of particular scene is actually exhausting for me yeah. when I Must when be I leave hard. the stage. I'm I want to just sit down and rest for a minute because it takes a lot out of me. Mm-hmm. Must be kind of hard to pull off. Um, I mean, week to week, day no, to day. No, I actually look forward to that. I, in fact, Brian and I both look forward to that scene. It's our favorite scene. We've actually talked about it quite a bit. Brian is the char- the actor who plays Hector. Um, we've talked a lot about that scene, and it's a favorite for both of us. It's actually fun to get to play something like that and 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 go through that gamut of emotions. And it, it, it did take some time to kind of really map out what's happening emotionally so that it all makes sense and not just playing, you know, anger throughout the entire scene because that was a choice that I had made a couple of times and it it didn't make any sense no one does that or if they do it's i think very few people do that do you have to work yourself up into anger because i know as a teacher occasionally kids do something stupid and i have to be angry at them and in my head i'm just going why do you have to be stupid i've been down this road 20 other times over the years the kid that staples his yeah, arm. Yeah, yeah. Sta- paper to his arm. You're like, what are you doing? And you have to get upset. And in my mind, I'm not upset, but I have to affect that emotion. Well, I mean, that's really what acting is. It's so incredibly artificial to walk from behind a curtain where you're backstage with people you've been hanging out with for weeks and you're standing around a table. There's food back there and we're hanging around talking. Some of people are eating food and then you walk out from behind that curtain, the lights are there. There are people sitting there. You know they're sitting there. They know you're an actor, and you have to switch into this character and play these emotions. I mean, that's the whole thing about acting. So it's, it's. I don't know that it's. I would say it's difficult. I do have to. I spend more time backstage, leading up to a scene by myself than some actors do. Some actors can be having a conversation, then literally turn around and walk out on stage. I'm not quite like that personally. One of the things that I do backstage that one of the other actors noticed is um, because I believe the character of Felix is someone who's constantly moving around the school and is never staying still. He's always kind of checking on everything, you know, like the Mm -hmm. captain of the Titanic trying to keep the ship from sinking. I pace backstage before I enter. And for some of the scenes, I literally walk from the wall of the theater to get to the actual entrance on stage, which is quite a walk, and I do it rather quickly. So that's one thing that I do do to kind of get that energy that I think Felix has as Mm -hmm. a character. And for that particular scene, I go backstage and wait behind the door. There's actually not much time between the scene I have with Irwin, where I yell at Irwin for not seeming to know what's going on in his own classroom. There's not a very long scene before I come on stage and have to yell at Hector. So I immediately go around and stand behind the door and I think about what's coming up and I think about what I'm going to say to him. And it's really a thought process more than anything else for me is kind of getting into that headspace of why, why is he going to say these things? Why is he upset? Why is he angry? And that is for me, what motivates what happens on stage. It's very intellectual for me. The emotions are tied to what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. you know, all actors have different processes and different methods for how they approach doing what they have to do. Um, I don't 
necessarily try to get myself into a rage before I go on stage. I just intellectualize it and think about. So can you drop the character then after the play, or do you still find yourself thinking like headmaster an hour or two later? mm -mm, No, I don't. I don't carry it around with me. It's for this particular play has been very interesting because believe it or not, I've never been able to really hold on to a British accent. That's always an accent that I've been um, kind of hesitant to play because I've always struggled to maintain it. I can do it for a short period of time and then it drops away very quickly. I can't hold on to it. So I was a little bit nervous about that with this show. When I was working on the accent and the lines, I also found my voice was changing the way I was speaking. Felix has a a voice that's not mine. And so I can go into that voice and then drop out of that voice pretty easily. I don't, I don't carry Felix around with me, but I can go into him when I need to and get out of him when I need to. Again, lots of actors do stay in their characters, you know, for the entire night or day or, you know, maybe even the run. Um, the actors are different. I know there are actors out there, you know, you can read stories of certain actors who that's, they only will be addressed as the character the entire time the movie is going or the play is going, you know, so it depends on, I'm not that kind of actor, but there are certainly actors like that out there. Daniel Day-Lewis comes yeah. to mind. Right. Method actors. Right. All right. I'm going to argue that Colin Williams, who plays Irwin, is the protagonist of the play. Like, I, I tend to operate from the uh, point of view that all great literature can be summed up into two main themes. My main themes theory. Shared this with uh, Mr. Two Frames over there before. Hero takes a journey or stranger comes to town. And if so, under this paradigm, if Erwin uh, is the protagonist, then he's the stranger that comes to town. He's the disruptor. Uh, he comes to mix things up. The guy who plays him, Colin, talking about accents a minute ago, he seems to me to have a very consistent accent. And I might be wrong, but he was the one guy that stuck out that seemed to have the most consistency on the opening night, which is, I mean, that's got to be part of the hardest thing that you have to do you just mentioned that but i think for everybody i think hector plays irish uh some of the other kids well it's not irish actually it's yorkshire dialect of british um and that's actually what our dialect coach was coaching us all on was to have a york yorkshire version of the british dialect and lower class and well it's just the area they are they're in a they're in a, a northern district in the york district oh that's where they actually live well there is a similarity between there are similarities between if you hear someone who's speaking with that very very strong yorkshire dialect it does tend to sound a little bit irish or scottish now when iron when erwin comes in does he is he playing a yorkshire accent or is he playing his own version of it or well what happened is we had a dialect coach and we all met with her individually and we all had individual discussions with her and worked with her on our accent. And I used less of the Yorkshire accent. Um, I know Cindy used almost none of it. Um, I'm, I'm actually not sure what she and Colin discussed. It's not something actually I've talked with him about. Again, I just happened to have had these conversations with right. Cindy, so I happen to know. Uh, Brian was working with a much str- stronger version of the, the York dialect, which can sound 
Irish or Scottish. Yeah. If you seriously, if you YouTube Yorkshire dialect, you can watch YouTube videos and you'll see they can sound very, very um, Scottish or Irish. I mean, that was one of the problems, not really knowing British culture as well. Well, And when they start naming all these schools and institutions, I've heard of Oxford, but they, you know, make jokes about some other schools. And I'm going, I don't know what's the American equivalent of that. Right, right. Actually, I think most of us were as ignorant as you. And that was one of the other amazing things that um, our dialect coach did. She really worked. She did went well beyond being a dialect coach. She really in some ways was, now I can't think of the word, someone who, dramaturg. She gave us like a 10-page packet explaining all of the schools and all those references to help us understand British society and culture. And that's an aspect of the play that I think can be difficult for American audiences. When I saw it on Broadway, I didn't know some of those things either. I had no idea. That's uh, Louise Cassani Hollis. Yeah, she was, yes. And she... God, she was just incredible. She did so much more than just teach us the dialect. And the French teacher you mentioned earlier is Julie DeVoe. Yes, Sorry, and she works at Oscar Smith High School with Colin. They're, okay. They both work at Oscar Smith High School. He was the one who asked her, yeah. I believe. Now, there are study guides for this online. If you just type yes. in History Boys Study Guide, and I read it afterwards. And I'm like, oh, okay, now, now I know everything that was going on in the French scene. Uh, they talk about the poets who I, I knew some of them because I teach World War One poetry to my tenth graders, but it explains that a lot about the uh, exam uh, system that was in place in the 1980s in Britain, right? And some of the tiers to the schools. So I'd also I'd almost recommend people read a, a study guide ahead of time, have some cliff notes Maybe we before can they go link into to the that play. in the show in case people are watching it. Yeah. Or, well, they'll probably be. I think most people, they're going to listen to the show, they'll listen to it afterwards. Yeah, but even going back and reading, I mean, it does does help um, fill out your understanding of it. I mean... And that's a choice the theater could have made, and I think there probably are theater. In fact, one of the... I I googled and found one of those study guides that was done by a theater that put the show on, and, you know, that's a choice the theater could have made Mm -hmm. to include some of that information in the program. It's a question of time and money probably more yeah. than anything else. Well, it's uh, you guys it costs a theaters. lot to right, it costs a lot to make the program as it stands to to include more pages of information would be kind of like here just catch up. Here, pay attention. Well, it helps, it helps me also appreciate the the play now even after reading it afterwards and reading stuff preparing for this podcast that the viewing of it which happened last Friday is still in my mind because I'm reconsidering those things. So it's it's uh it's cool. Well, it is you know of course a British author, and he is writing on on a lot of things based on his own experiences going through that. There's a lot of autobiographical elements in the play. He's actually talked about that a great deal. That's something else you could Google. And so, for a British audience, this play would be very different than it is for an American audience. But I think there are lots of things you can get from the play not knowing any of those British references, mm-hmm. which is why I think oh, yeah. it did well on Broadway and won the Tony Award, and was made into a movie. Irwin, getting back to Irwin, he has to convey the theme of uh, illusion versus reality, because which is really a key concept in the, in the play itself, because in a lot of ways he sort of embodies that repression and holding something back and hiding something, but he has to behave in multiple ways at once. So he knows as a character what his history is that becomes discovered throughout the play and then it's revealed, but he has to hold that in his head 
Um, similarly, you have a secret, which I kind of missed. I'd be honest with you. At the play, I kind of missed what it was that Dakin, Dakin, Bacon? Dakin. Dakin was, was able to use against you. And I don't know if it was because of where I was in my mind or I was thinking about something else, but I, I didn't understand why he was able to, to blackmail you at the end when he when he did. So, But all you guys have to hold those secrets in. And he's got secrets everywhere. So it's got to be... I wonder if it's something that you have to do. You have to compartmentalize that, keep it, keep it there somewhere. Or is it just you embody the character and it well, just comes out in the performance? Um, again, I can't, I can't speak for everyone, but you know, one of the things that any actor does, and certainly I did, was you know, you spend time really examining who is this person and trying to understand everything you can possibly understand about them based on what they say. Um, one of the things our director had us do, which was really great, I learned a lot from doing it, it was very, very helpful, was going through the script, writing down everything that I say and why I say it, but also what do I say about other characters and what does that reveal about me? What do other characters say about me and mm. what does that reveal? Because as you say, people have observations about you that you may not have for yourself or they may not be intentions, but it's still part of who you are as a character. So... Again, it's very intellectual in building the character. And a, those things don't all necessarily manifest themselves in an, in an obvious way. Right. But they're all part of how you put that character together is all the things that you know about that person. Probably the first Cindy who played Mrs. Lintot, she has an entire backstory for her character. She did much more work, I, I know, than I did. I don't know about the other actors. Uh, but if you asked her about her backstory, she could tell you the history of Mrs. Lintop for the last 50 years. What her cat's name was. Right. She had a whole, she could recite it like that. Wow. I don't know that I did quite as much as she did. I'm yeah. thinking um, scrumpet. I've heard Tarantino does that. Like he'll give his actors a 12 page biography on their character. And then that never gets to see the light of day. Only the actor gets to see that. And when I went to school at JMU, um, you know, I studied theater. And in the acting classes, that's one of the one of the first things we learned was doing character analysis and writing a history of your character. And even if that history never came out at all, it's part of you understanding who that person is. Do you share that with the director? I mean, could the director it's up go? To the director. No, Some not directors, a cat lady. Dog person. Some directors want to know. Some directors don't want to know. You know, it's always different. Directors usually have ideas. In my mind, the best directors want it to be a collaboration. They have ideas, but they want to see what your ideas are. And then through conversation, you kind of work things out. As I said, um, there were things about my character that I didn't necessarily understand fully until I had conversations with the director and the other actors. So those their perspectives helped me build a clearer sense of who my character was than I would have done completely on my own without interaction from other people. I don't think Felix would be who he is. That's got to make casting hard, because when you go into the audition, you may think something very different about the character, and then, I don't know, it doesn't resonate with the director and whoever else is helping with the casting process. And you tried out directly for the headmaster role. No, I I auditioned for any role they would give me. I I knew I was too old to play the students, but if you had asked me to play a student, I would have gladly played one. Did you did <laughs> um, you audition with an accent? 
Um, I tried a little bit, but I was I ended up kind of dropping it because again, before I'd done this show, I could never sustain it. So okay. I did go in there trying, and I actually believe it or not, I, he had me read quite a bit for Irwin. That was the part I thought he was going to cast me in, or that he was leaning towards casting me in. So when he called for the headmaster, I was kind of surprised um, because he'd only read me for the headmaster once. Mm-hmm. We had um, callback auditions, and at the callbacks, I read for Hector several times, and then I read for Irwin over and over and over and over again. And then I just read for the headmaster once. So I didn't think I was old enough to play the headmaster, and I thought I was too old to play a student, which I am. So I thought I could play Hector or Irwin, and that was kind of it. It was actually a choice he made, and I don't think this was an idea he had in his head ahead of time. I think during the audition and callback process, he got this idea of a younger headmaster, um, you know, the young upstart who comes in and thinks he knows everything, telling the teachers who've been around a long time what to do. Mm-hmm. He thought that was a really interesting idea and an interesting dynamic, and I hadn't thought about it. I thought mm-hmm. of the headmaster as being the oldest one, you know, so he specifically chose me because I did at least appear to be younger than the other actors playing the teachers, except for Irwin, of course, even though we're actually, I think we're relatively close in age. You know, I, I think world, that in real works life. well. It, it creates that tension between you and Hector in the original production. The man who played Hector was a very large figure and the person who played the headmaster was very thin. Right. So, you know, you have that contrast there. Physical foil. Yeah, and since you guys can't do that, well, I think there is doing a, the age it works well then. But there is a size differential. When I do the scene, especially at the scene of act at the end of act 1 with Hector, I'm very I'm very aware of the fact that he's much taller. He's a a, a much more imposing human being than I am. But you have to chop but I think him down it makes to size. It, yeah, which I is think it makes a really. I think that's one of the reasons why we both like that scene is, is that um, there's a strange dynamic, like dynamic saying. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. There's is. a lot you guys do Where with your he posture. Could, he could beat the crap out of me easily. You know, step on mm-hmm. me like a bug. But I'm the one who has all the power, unfortunately, for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. So, but the age thing is also again something I hadn't thought of that. The director Chris came up with and liked, and I like I said I don't believe that was his original idea. So I think I think good directors always going and having ideas of things they're looking for, but then the trick is keeping an open mind and seeing what happens and what shows up, and really being open to what the actors give you. Mm-hmm. So you know I can't speak for Chris other than I do know he had specifically had a conversation with me about. Mm-hmm. The fact that he liked that I looked younger than the other actors. So, well, so ironically, I was not auditioning for the headmaster. I didn't think that was a part I could play. And here well, I am. Well, you're certainly able to pull it off. <laughs> and speaking of pulling off, the role of Hector. Yes. <laughs> Let's discuss Brian Sebrian? Sebrian. Sebrian. He is the, uh, I guess people would, looking at the movie, at least the trailer for the movie, they would think that the person that plays that role of Hector is the hero, right? I mean, Hector is a heroic role in, in Greek I think protagonist mythology. might be a better word. I don't know. Uh... Yeah, protagonist. It means his story. It's hard watching the play to, to see who the surrogate for the audience is. Well, I think different audience members are going to have different surrogates. I don't think there's one surrogate for the entire audience. I think different audience members, like you were saying, you respond to Rudge. 
Mm-hmm. Um, was that your surrogate? I, I guess the closest. I mean, and, and we'll probably get into the three teaching you're, styles. Because you're not a pedophile? Because <laughs> no. it should have been the English teacher, right? Yeah, but it, and it is interesting. Almost any time you have a teacher in a movie, they're supposed to be someone that you can look up to and can be a, a role model. And I think originally Hector is shown to be that. And then we start to dig deeper and show that teachers are human. That flawed. they have, you know, yeah. Intensely flawed. Yeah. They have uh, problems. But you would love to have him as a teacher. Like, up until a, a motorcycle ride or something. You, if you were, if I were in Hector's class and he were just the way he is, he reminds me of a teacher I had who was a little bit loose. I mean, he didn't grope us, but he was... He he interacted with us, and he wanted us to extend ourselves in a way uh, beyond just what the it was a geography teacher, Mr. Hobson. I hope you're still around, Mr. Hobson, but I don't even know if he is. Uh, but he encouraged us in in different ways into life. You know, it wasn't just about the material. And that's that's kind of the position it seems that Hector's taking. Oh, so I, yeah, I went. Oh, this is too ironic because I had a 400 pound English teacher who wanted us to carry it on and pass it along. Did yeah. he also want to And he rode a motorcycle you? to and from school. No, he never touched oh, okay. anyone. And but, again... But this... I mean, yeah, it was very similar in a lot of ways. But he also had a bit of Irwin in him. Be creative. Argue. Come up with an original point of view and share that. I saw some of Irwin in myself and my teaching style because we're always teaching tricks. And we're like... Especially with AP, I teach AP English, and I, and I have said some of those lines like, the person's going to be reading five hundred essays. If they get the same format every single time, thesis statement, thesis statement, thesis statement in this passage, blah 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 blah, and it doesn't stick out, they're immediately their eyes glaze over. So you want to come in with a unique perspective, and you want to convey that in your writing. That's just, I think that's good teaching. So in a way, which I. I which is why you see Irwin as the hero. Exactly. Except, no, I think more his arc. But I don't know. I, I guess it, it, you're right. There's surrogates for everybody in the in the play. He's not wrong for what he's teaching the kids. They need to know that. I mean, he's more of the immediacy. I think some Here's, of his facts are wrong. Well, he's much more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, like Felix, the test results are what motivate those two characters. Erwin also, where he ends up, there's a bit of the kind of the car salesman, the sleazy car salesman right. to Erwin, right. where he ends up at the end of the play. But see, I think from what I know of you as a teacher, we used to teach English in the same department. And from what about I know as myself as a teacher, we don't really care about the raw data that comes out of the collective. But we are interested in, in the individual student doing well. I right, think Mr. Absolutely. Two-Frame shares that same uh, mentality. So anything like that, any of those little tricks where you can say, Hey, you're going to be judged on this test. This is what you need to do in order to do well on the test. It doesn't seem to be like a, a method to glorify myself as much as it is to let the kid be successful. And that's, I, I guess Irwin's maybe trying, I'm putting too much. I don't think Irwin's trying to glorify himself. No, no. I think, you don't he's, think he's like, uh, the gunslinger comes into town and get these kids in line. Well, yeah, he's got a lot of. Uh, he's been given a job issues. to do. Yeah, I and think he's, he's, he's been. It done. But he also he wants. says, right? But he says this is not his end goal. He does not want to be a teacher the rest of his life. He has other aspirations. This is, this is a job that's paying money for right now. What does he wind up as? A, a politician. 
Oh, but he refuses. He doesn't like that title. He refuses it. But that's who he is. The speech at the very beginning, he's arguing in front of like the House of Commons or something like that for a bill that will basically make it more difficult for defendants in court. See, something like that. I I I, I didn't know what what the heck was going on with that. I thought he was teaching those people. No, it's because it's because it's the first scene of the play, and you don't. Yeah. You know, you don't really understand what's happening. You don't know what's going on. But yeah, he's so he is a politician. Okay. That makes sense. I thought he was a teacher of politicians somehow. Like mm-hmm. teaching criminal law or something or I don't know. Uh Hector, getting back to Brian Cibrian, is that right? He is also the uh president of the Norfolk Will Theater of Norfolk. Yes. You can tell that how much this play means to him. I mean, we he spoke a little bit after the production, but that also comes out of the performance. It seems like uh, he's able, he has the capacity in the role to show the widest range of emotions. And so he, and he has to be able to pull that out or do it well. Well, it's an incredibly complicated character. It's, um, I mean, it's, I'm so astounded having watched Brian do this over the past many weeks that we've been working on this show it was a difficult it's a difficult character to play and he does yeah he does run the gamut of almost every emotion you could think of to be able to make the character sympathetic despite what the audience eventually knows about him i think it's in some ways the play i think can be problematic because as i heard earlier and i and i know that this is the case. In fact, a good friend of mine, that's all he remembers from us seeing it on Broadway. He doesn't remember anything else is, you know, the pedophilia um, can overtake the character in the play. Yeah, it, it doesn't in this play. It might seem more in the movie. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be. No, I mean, it, it's there, but I, I kind of like that the teachers aren't perfect, that they, that they make some sort of mistake. Well, the kids, and, uh, the, yeah, the kids like him. When the kids want, I mean, they he doesn't force them to get on the bike with him. Well, that's I think, uh, I think, I think one of the many things that the playwright wanted to discuss in this uh, play was this tendency we have to be overprotective of children and and underestimate them that. I don't know that it's necessarily that they want to get on the bike with him, but that they don't have as big a problem with it as everyone else from the outside does, that they view it as just part of having class with Hector. And and on on some level, it's a, an obligation, and it's obligation that they undertake somewhat willingly. They're not being forced to. And it's because there is a level of respect there. It is pretty. It is pretty weird, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm <laughs> not. Mean, I'm not in any way trying to say no, that this is saying, okay yeah. or normal. <laughs> I'm just saying. But I'm saying that is it. Is it because it's a British thing? But it's also interesting. I can't imagine that happening. I grew up in the '80s, and in my school, I don't think that there'd be some. I just don't think that there'd be the revered English teacher would be the one that wants to take you around behind the shed and grope you. I think that it would be. I, it, these kids are very. They're open about their sexuality. And I don't remember us being like that. I just, I, I, I don't remember. I, I certainly, you, you would not have had the, the sort of freedom to get away with whatever it was he was getting away with, unless this is just 
that year, and it doesn't seem like it would be. But it's also interesting, no one ever asked the kids, are you okay? The headmaster never talks to any of the boys, interviews them. The first person he brings in is Hector. Well, he's got his own he, uh, skeletons, too. Yeah, so whose crime is worse? Is is it Hector, or is it the headmaster? Well, I think the headmaster wouldn't have cared. I don't know, maybe you can speak. But I don't think the headmaster would have cared if it went on forever, if no one ever found out about it. Yeah, Because Hector it, produces, I think he says he gets results. So that's why he leaves him in there in his position. And then when it becomes public, when someone sees him uh, groping a kid or whatever, I don't even know, it's not really clear in the play what he's doing at the time he gets caught. But it seems like that's what he has to address. It's the public nature of the crime now, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the actual crime itself. If it is, in fact, a crime, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know where I stand on that. What do you think Felix thinks? Well, I think it's complicated. Um, he does get results, but uh, Felix has also never been terribly fond of Hector. He's uh, always wanted to find a way to get rid of him, and he's never been able to actually do it. But he also likes the dynamic between uh, Hector and Mrs. Lintot. The two of them are a team, and they seem to work really well together. And until he starts getting pressure from the board to improve their standings with other schools... I think he's uh, he is pretty happy with their results and their dynamic, um, but there's a part of him that dislikes Hector intensely because uh, Hector. My theory is that Felix tried to be a teacher and it didn't work out because the students didn't respond to him at all. He had no ability to connect to the students. Mm. Students hated him. Imagine, and so there's a part of him that's terribly jealous that the students seem to love Hector so much. I think there's a there's jealousy there. It's. Um, there's actually something very personal about what's happening there that has enough that um, goes beyond um, what's actually on the page and in the play. Um, but I think you're also right that it's when it becomes public, it's his wife that sees it. That's part of the problem. If someone else had caught him, maybe he would have had a slightly tempered reaction. Okay. But the fact that his own wife was the one who witnessed it mm. and turned it over to the police, that... Mm was a huge deal for him. But then also he's motivated by reputation. The The reputation of himself and the school um, is his, probably his biggest motivator. So absolutely, that's a huge part of what's going on. Um, and that was easy for me to pull from because, of course, we have all had experience with the administrators who, you know, their biggest concern seems to be don't talk about this. We don't want anyone to find out about right. it. Um, not really what the problem is or, or what the repercussions might be, especially for the students, but God knows, let's not let anyone know. But also I think, again, that's something that I believe the playwright wanted to talk about in this play was, I think a lot of people don't necessarily have a huge objection to homosexuality as long as it's some abstract thing that's happening out in the world that they don't have to actually confront I know personally that I've seen this in my own life and with other people that I know that that changes very quickly when they're confronted with it, when it's something that they smack up against in their own life, then it's a huge problem. And so I think there's some of that with Felix, that he may or may not have known that Hector was gay all along, and it wasn't a problem because Hector was just gay and that was something that didn't really matter in Felix's own life. But then when it comes into the school and it involves the students then it, he has to deal with the fact that Hector is gay. So um, hmm. in my mind, that's something else. I mean, there's so many different things uh, that I think 
uh, Alan Bennett is discussing this play. I think that's just one of them. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Sometimes we get more upset at certain people for having relations with children than others. Uh, right before we saw this, I was actually reading an article about Elvis, and apparently he started dating his wife when she was 14. And everyone was fine with that, but Jerry Lee Lewis ruined his career by marrying a 14-year-old. His cousin. Well, also, I mean, if you think was about... the cousin bit that upset people? Yeah. But, you know, it, it's interesting how some figures, if they're adored enough, if we like them enough, we're willing to excuse their behaviors. And other people were not, and sometimes the reason is very difficult to pinpoint. Well, and there's also not only homophobia, but um, sexism. You know, Mary Kay Letourneau, of course, pointed to the fact that there were still there were a lot of people, and still are a lot of people, that don't necessarily think she did anything terribly wrong. Though, it, if it had been a man and a young student, it, the situation would have been entirely different. So that was well, actually something we talked about in rehearsals. Um, you know, if, if Hector was touching a female student, how would that be different? I was if thinking about Mrs. That. Lintot was touching. Like we actually talked about the fact that there seems to be some sort of current there between her and Rudge. If she had been touching Rudge, would that be different and why? So again, just like you mentioned, you know, the fact that it's a gay man touching a a boy is very, very different from a female teacher touching a student or even a male teacher touching a student. It's not different from the boy's perspective. And that's the difference in this play than in other presentations, because these boys unless they're getting into some sort of collective mindset that they don't necessarily agree with, these boys seem to, I mean, they, they want this interaction to happen between them. I mean, one of the kids is upset that he's not chosen to go on the bike. And then when I think you have to, it's, I think that's actually not so much. He wants that interaction is that what's wrong with me. Why doesn't he want me chosen? It isn't the interaction so much as, being left out of something status and status and peer pressure. But and if these were all girls, popularity and, and, and he was the pedophile or uh, heterosexual, you would still, I, I think I'd still be making the argument that they, for whatever reason, don't, they, they, they're not pushing away from him. They, they don't find it to be reprehensible. They, no, they don't it see it as reprehensible. It, so. I don't know that they enjoy it. But it's also interesting Dakin is having sexual relations with the headmaster's secretary. As is the headmaster. And that was actually, again, that's something that points to the idea of of, um, why it's a problem for the gay man who's touching the students versus Mm -hmm. um, a straight man touching students or or a woman who's touching a student. Because Dakin says the headmaster's sleeping... You know, I pointed him out. What's the difference between Hector touching us and you fooling around with your secretary? What's the difference? And that's when the headmaster has to go, okay, you got me. I can't. Yeah, and Dakin really doesn't care who he's the object of affection for. Well, that's also the mindset of that character. And I don't know if you've taught students like that or met people like that who they just want. It's a conquest. Mm -hmm. Whoever they can conquer, and especially if it's like someone that they think would never, ever say yes if they can get that person to say yes it doesn't matter the sex yeah male or female to that kind of person doesn't matter so you think that they think Irwin is the is the north pole so to speak for dakin i think for he thinks... all of them well for dakin it is because he says that sort of i mean that's his goal it's his stated goal do you think other people agree that that with that goal like the other 
characters? No, because not not all the other boys are motivated by the same things that Dakin right. is. The other boys, they have other things that they're yeah, interested in besides sex, right? Money. Yeah, well, Scripps doesn't have any problem with Dakin. They often talk about sex, even though Scripps has you know chosen a very different path, and he doesn't seem to dislike Dakin at all. No, you they know, all that, get along. That they can have very different worldviews, and you know they can make very different choices in their lives, but yet they can all be friends. Yeah, they uh, they all get along. It seems like, aside from what the the headmaster and Hector, there just seems to be like. A very well, no one likes conflict. my character. No one on I that did. stage likes my character. I'm saying the characters. Your secretary does. None of. <laughs> no, yeah, but not. do you? But honestly, think about that. You think she's willingly doing whatever with me? No, I don't know. I've never. Had I a doubt it. I don't know. Probably Fiona. it's sexual harassment, is what it is. is her name Whatever Fiona? she's. Yes. yes hey. Whatever Fiona is or isn't doing, I'm sure is out of fear of losing her job, not because she wants to be messing around with me. So, wow, that was an intense insight into the the community theater. <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect that we would go this. This is going to be one of our longest shows, but it's worth Sorry. it. Sorry, it's worth it. No, there's nothing to apologize for. It's actually really interesting. Well, when you only show up every six months, we have to make the most <laughs> of these opportunities. Well, if I didn't live so far away. Well, hopefully we can get you back on towards the end of the year to do the top well, ten. Again, I actually, um, when I'm not rehearsing, you know, I work in Hampton. So right. coming after work is actually not that difficult for me. Sounds good. Uh, do you have any future plans to be in other upcoming productions in and around the area? Um. I wanted to audition for the Adams Family, Gomez. which is the last show they're doing. Gomez. But I can't do it. Gomez. I can't I do want it. you as Gomez. Well, I can't do it. It's too close to my wedding. There's no way. Um, I'll be far too preoccupied with the wedding. Well, that's in June? Mm-hmm. And the, and the Adams Family the Adams Family runs right up until the wedding. In fact, they've talked about extending it one week. And for then you? It would, then it would overlap the wedding. Anyone is who's in a, the show wouldn't be able to come to the wedding. Is it a musical? It is a musical. All right. Well, I won't be seeing that. But I um, thoroughly enjoyed the history board. I'm, I'm slightly curious. <laughs> I am actually curious about the Cripple of Inishman. I need to look at that, see if I can get a copy of it. Um, I don't know what characters I could play because I know the main character is too young for me to play. Other than that, I can't think of... Oh, uh, I think there's a show that the generic is doing that I'm interested in. I think they're doing Pillow Man, which is an incredible play. Uh, so I might int- I might audition for that. I have to look at... I have to do some more research. Right. Well, you'll have to let us know if you're going to be in anything else so we can uh, yeah. discuss it on the show. Oh, of course. Some Absolutely. more insight. We want to thank uh, you, Mr. Lasky, the Star. We also want to mention the other members of the production team because we didn't get a chance to talk about all of them, but we have Christopher Bernhard as your director. Uh, assistant director is Charity, Robins- Charity Robinson. I'm sorry. Jennifer Wiley is the stage manager, and the set designer was Jason Martins. B.A. Tsikolia, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, is the lighting director. And there are a couple of assistant lighting designers, Bill Armstrong and Nina Martin. Your dialect coach, we mentioned, Miss Hollis and Miss DeVoe, the French teacher. And then the crew was uh, Chris Bernhardt, Eric Day, Jason Martins, and Jen Mealy. Yeah, I'm not sure how to say her last name. I feel terrible. And uh, we really enjoyed her. the production at the Little Theater of Norfolk. It's You can find it online. Uh, it's over in the industrial region next to the uh, It's right hospital. next to the Midtown Tunnel. 
Yeah, so it's pretty easy to get to, even if you're coming from over, even if you're coming from all the way over here in Gloucester. Yeah. From uh, two waters away. Now, we, uh, at the end of the show, we often have a quote. This play has often been compared to the Dead Poet Society because it has some some of the similar themes of the relationship between the teachers and students. You remember uh, Professor John Keating mm-hmm. in the Dead Poet Society? Sucking the marrow out of life doesn't mean choking on the bone. So for Mr. Tupac, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and the Registar. Thank you very much for having me. I'm the L-Train. Pox at Bonum, everybody. There be dragons. Is it me, me you're I'm looking for? I mean, can you hear kind of? I, wonder I can hear both of you. And is this going to be distracting for you? I wonder what you right. do. No, I don't really care. Are you somewhere feeling lonely? I hope you're recording this. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's here, so you can see. Uh, or is someone loving you? I mean, recording him singing Hello by Lionel Richie. It's, yeah. Hello.